Well, I'd like to talk about something today that um, I think that we can all relate to because, well, it's something we all do. Some of us do it a lot. Some of us do it just from time to time. Some of us do it so much it actually becomes a disorder. But we all do it. Daydreaming. We daydream to replay an argument that we had. Except that we thought of a super witty comeback after it was all over. So we daydreamed through the argument a second time, but this time in our dream, with perfect timing, we drop the ultimate comeback line. Trying to study for finals, we start daydreaming about our wedding day. And we imagine the perfect weather and how the decorations look and the music sounds and every detail through our perfect day. Making it through another boring day at work, we daydream about our retirement in another three, year, three years and six months, and the RV that we're going to get and the route we will travel on our way to see the autumn leaves in Vermont. Sometimes we daydream backwards to live something over again. Sometimes we daydream forward to something we hope could happen, but whenever we are daydreaming, we are behind the wheel steering where the action goes. In fact, this is primarily what distinguishes daydreams from sleeping dreams. The dreams we have when we're asleep, they always connect somehow to our real-life experiences, even though sometimes we can't figure out exactly how. I had this dream that I ran off and I joined a clown troupe, and we were traveling around in this micro VW bus, and then we crashed into a cheeseburger factory, and all of the workers ran out, and they were all Oompa Loompas. Where in the world did that dream come from? But in a daydream, it's different. Because while it may have twists and turns, we're the ones behind the wheel directing where it goes. Daydreaming is something we all do, and it's something that is within our control. So with today's message, and I don't always do this, but I just want to warn you at the very outset that for most of us, it's going to be a fairly challenging message. In fact, at the very end, I'm going to ask you to do something specific that I'm guessing Many of you who are joined together with us will find very difficult to do. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere or do anything or say anything to anybody. All I'm going to ask you to do, though, is to daydream about something for a few minutes in the complete privacy of your own mind. Nothing more. Having said that, though, I believe that there are a number of you who will decline this challenge because you will determine it is simply for you too difficult to do. And I want you to know that if you should decide that this daydream challenge I'm going to give you is beyond what is possible for you, I completely understand. You will get no judgment from me because I've been there myself many times and it can be really, really hard. In fact, I've come to believe that unless the Holy Spirit does a special work in our hearts, left to ourselves, what I'm talking about is the nearly impossible command regarding daydreaming. Heavenly Father, you know that I often ask that we would have ears that would be open to hear, minds open to understand, hearts receptive to receive, hands and feet that are ready to go and to do what you're calling us to do We're going to need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit probably on all of those levels today. Enable us not only to hear, but also to do that which you are speaking. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So, a whole message about daydreaming, you say. I didn't even know the Bible had anything to say about daydreaming. And it doesn't. I mean, you can look in vain for a reference to daydream, daydreaming, daydream believer. You won't find anything in there. But sometimes to really get a hold of the truth of the Bible in ways that we can understand and do something with, we have to use fresh language to do it. Because while the basic concepts are the same, there are certain words that we use today that the Bible didn't use. Words like daydreaming. And on the other hand, there are words that the Bible uses a lot, and while we're familiar with the word, we don't really have a good grasp on what that word is about. Here's an example of a word like that. Blessing. If you read the Bible at all, you're going to see that word all the time. It's used hundreds of times from Genesis to Revelation. God blesses us, we bless God, and throughout the Bible, blessing is a gift that is given from one person to another. So while we recognize this word, most of us aren't really sure how it's done. It's what I like to call the lost practice of biblical blessing. I mean, think about it. If you were called to the front on the occasion of a couple's wedding or the birth of a child or someone's graduation from college, and you were asked to bestow upon them in the presence of those gathered a biblical blessing, besides the fact that you hate speaking in public, would you have any idea what to do? I mean, we say God bless you when someone sneezes. We say bless your heart if somebody isn't feeling well, but outside of that, most of us wouldn't know where to begin. So let me start by giving you a definition in the most everyday language I can think of for what it looks like for one person to give a blessing to another. Are you ready? Blessing is a spirit-inspired picture given to another person of their wonderful future experiencing the favor of God on their life. That's my best simple definition. Blessing is a spirit-inspired picture given to another person of their wonderful future experiencing the favor of God on their life. So first of all, a blessing is something given. It is a gift and a very profound one at that. And if you have ever in your life truly received this gift, you have never forgotten the moment. Second, it is a gift of a spirit-inspired picture. It is a blessing is always in tune with the Spirit of God, and it is always grounded upon the Word of God. It is not a blessing to say to someone, may you always follow your heart, do what makes you smile, may you win the lottery, become a first-round NBA draft pick. That may be a nice wish, that's not a blessing. Because a blessing is something that is grounded in the Word of God and is in tune with the Spirit of God. So a blessing is a gift, a spirit-inspired picture of someone else's future experiencing the greatest favor of God upon their life. Here's an example of a blessing from the Bible. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 2. It says this, If you will only obey the Lord and follow His commands, the Lord will set you high above all the other people's. And you will be blessed in the city, and you will be blessed in the country. 
Your children will be blessed and your crops will be blessed. Your herds will be blessed and your flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and your breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, it will be blessed. When an enemy tries to attack you, the Lord will conquer them for you. They will attack from one direction, but they will run away scattering in seven directions. The Lord will fill your storehouses with grain and guarantee blessing on everything that you do. That is a vivid picture of the future covered in every possible way with the favor of God for those who obey and who follow him. A spirit-inspired picture given to another person of their future experiencing the favor of God and blessing is portrayed in the Bible as a normal part of the relational connection between God's people. And throughout the scriptures, we see in the normal course of healthy, close relationships, blessing being extended in profound moments of relational connection. So as Rebecca left to start her new life with her new husband, her family rose up and spoke into her life a blessing. Hannah received a blessing from the priest Eli that God would grant her desire to have a child. Jesus, in a very special moment with Peter, spoke a blessing into his life about his confession of faith and how it would change the world. A blessing. We know how to make a toast at a wedding. We know how to give a eulogy at a funeral. We know how to give a speech at a retirement party. But a formal blessing, that's just not something that we are typically very familiar with. But the people of the Bible were. Dr. John Trent has studied and written more over the past 40 years about biblical blessing than anyone else I know of. Millions of, his, millions of copies of his books about blessing have been read around the world. And according to Dr. Trent, there are five basic elements to a biblical blessing. And by the way, if I'm getting any of this wrong, he can straighten it out personally because he's going to be speaking here at Bethany Bible Church in just two weeks from today. But according to Dr. Trent, the five elements of a biblical blessing are these. The first one he identifies is meaningful touch. Meaningful touch. In Mark 10, 16, it says this. Jesus took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and blessed them. In Genesis chapter 48 and verse 10, it describes Jacob as he blessed his two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And it says that he embraced them and he kissed them. And then with his hands upon their heads, he spoke a blessing upon their life. Now, exactly what kind of touch is meaningful can vary from one culture to another. A squeezed hand, a holy kiss, an embrace. But warm, meaningful touch always conveys something powerful from one person to another, and blessing includes this. The second element is a spoken message. Blessing is always something that is articulated to the other person. It's never merely understood. It's not something that just someone picks up over time. It's articulated. Sometimes, is it not true, we are better at talking about those that we deeply love than we are at actually telling it to those that we deeply love. We tell other people how proud we are of our children. We tell others how lost we would be without our wife. But in a moment of blessing, we tell it to them. 
We look them in the eye. Perhaps we take them by the hand and we speak it straight to them. The third element is that blessing always conveys high value. The Hebrew word for bless is barak, and it means literally to bend the knee. Now, the person that you bent the knee to was someone who had tremendous honor. You bent the knee to the king or someone like that. Now, we don't do much of that in our culture, but we still have outward physical ways to signal that we are in the presence of someone really important, like we dress extra nice to be with them because great-grandpa is coming over for Christmas dinner. Or we hold the door for them. We pick up the check. We stand up when they come into the room. We carry them off the football field on our shoulders. How it is done may vary, but blessing is a moment in which anyone looking in, even if they didn't understand all of the cultural nuances, would be able to tell that the person in the center of this thing is incredibly important, valuable. When we bless someone, a child, a spouse, a sister, in that moment, as much as any other that they have ever experienced, they have no doubt how valuable of a human being they are. The fourth element is this, painting a vivid picture of a special future. A blessing is not just a generic best wish on the days that are ahead. But a blessing is a spirit-inspired picture of a special future just for them, covered in the favor of God. So in Genesis 49, verse 1, it tells how at the end of Jacob's life, he called for all of his sons, and he said to them, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. And then one by one, individually, by name, each one of them, He described in vivid word pictures the blessings of God that he envisioned were in store for them and for their families. And then it concludes by saying in verse 28, this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each one the blessing appropriate to him. So when we bless someone, we're communicating to them from the heart, knowing you as well as I do. And knowing God's heart as well as I do, I want to speak into your life a powerful picture of how I see God doing good for you and through you in the days that are to come. A vivid picture of a special future. That's what a blessing is. A very proud mother was walking down the street pushing a stroller with her infant twins. As she rounded the corner, she saw her neighbor. My, what beautiful children, the neighbor said. What are their names? The mother proudly pointed to each child. She said, this is Bernie, the doctor, and this is Reuben, the lawyer. (laughs) She had a very optimistic and specific future in mind for her two boys. To bless someone, you've got to be able to see a vivid picture in your mind of the good that is yet to come to them, knowing you as well as I do and knowing God's heart as well as I do. This is what I envision the good that he's going to pour out in you and through you in the days to come. The final and fifth part of the blessing is an active commitment to fulfill the blessing. There is an ongoing commitment that comes with these words extended. That by the grace of God, as much as I am able, I will be in your corner to see this blessing 
become a reality. I am rooting for you. I am praying for you. And if there is anything possible I can do to get you there, you have my blessing. Now, I want you to pull all of those things together that we've just gone through quickly and imagine, if you have never experienced such a thing in your life, imagine how powerful a moment like that would be for someone significant with the warmth of a touch, to look you in the eye and to hear words spoken to you of how incredibly valuable you are. And then to paint a picture from the heart of the incredibly good, big things that God has in store for your future, knowing that the person who is speaking these things to you is standing behind you every step of the way to get there. A moment like that is a moment that you would never forget. That's what the Bible calls blessing. In our family, we have um, a couple of unique family rules. One of our unique family rules is called show up and speak up. And what that rule means is that in significant moments of life, we gather for one another. And when we get there, we speak up with words of value to honor them, and to verbalize our confidence in the great future that we think God has for them. And it almost always ends in tears, and it always includes hugging. But we call it show up and speak up. But the idea behind it is what the Bible calls blessing. So blessing, that's a concept we acknowledge isn't real common to us. But I wanted to take the time to unpack it for you so that you could understand the incredible potential that it has for us in the most significant relationships of our lives. Blessing is a vivid picture from the heart of another's future highly favored. Here's another word that in our time and our culture we aren't quite sure what to do with. Cursing. Now, We often think of that word cursing as kind of meaning like cussing. But that is not what the Bible, when the Bible says cursing, it doesn't mean cussing. It has something completely different in mind. Biblically speaking, cursing is just the opposite of blessing. Cursing is a picture from the heart of another's future, highly tragic. So we speak blessing into the life of another when we say this, I want to tell you the great things that I see that I believe God has in store for your future. We speak a curse into the life of another when we say, knowing you as I do, I can confidently say you are going to be a bum for the rest of your life. You see, cursing in our modern day vocabulary means wishing someone the very worst. Little Jimmy Dickens once had a number one country song, and it was all about giving someone a curse. You may not have known that. It went like this. May the bird of paradise fly up your nose. May an elephant caress you with his toes. May your wife be plagued with runners in her hose. May the bird of paradise fly up your nose. That's a curse. Did you know that? It's a vivid picture given to someone, highly tragic, covering every part of their life. But the idea of both blessing and cursing is a picture of someone's future. With blessing, it's a future highly favored. With a curse, it's a future highly tragic. Now, here's my point in all of this. 
While we may not always use those exact words the Bible is using, we still understand the concept just the same. We are no different than people have ever been. We envision in our minds the future for other people. For some, those are pictures of blessing. For others, those are pictures of curse. Moms, don't you envision a future of blessing for your daughters? You can see it, right? How Prince Charming comes into their life. How beautiful she looks on her wedding day. What an amazing mom she is going to be. And while they don't have to be rich, they'll always have enough. The fulfilling career she'll have, the godly character she will have, because in your mind, she's going to have it all, because she deserves it all. See, that's a heart of blessing. A vivid picture of your daughter experiencing the very best of God in the days that are to come. So those who are closest to our hearts, we naturally dream for them the very best things. And then we pray it for them. And hopefully we take them by the hand and we look them in the eyes and we speak it to them. But it begins as a vivid picture that we play out in our mind. And in our world, we call that a daydream. Now, this is the part where it gets a little uncomfortable. Because up to this point, we can basically understand it. We may not always be great at communicating it, but we certainly get the concept. But then, when we get to the New Testament, it takes this concept of the warmest gift of our hopes and dreams for another's life, and it tells us to apply it to those who have hurt us most deeply. Now, hold on now. I understand as a good Christian, I should do them no harm. I understand that I should retaliate, not retaliate. I understand that I should hold my tongue, and I'm trying to do better about that. But you're saying to positively bless the people who have hurt me the most deeply in life when they have done nothing to date to deserve this? But there it is. It says in Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Do not curse them. Now, see, normally I don't really feel too convicted about that because, after all, I don't cuss people out. I've never pronounced a hex on anybody. I don't curse people. But what I came to understand is that even if nothing wrong ever comes out of my mouth, still my heart can be filled with cursing just the same because at the heart of both blessing and cursing is the picture that I nurture in the daydreams of my mind over the kind of future that I hope someone else will get. That's the seed, that's the root. Everything else grows out of that. The pictures that I play out in my mind. I can remember in the days right after 9-11 how vividly I could Envision the justice that ought to rain down on those cowards that not only attacked our nation but killed those thousands of innocent people. I could see it. That's just human nature. To visualize a future that is deserved for those who have touched us most deeply. Good for those who have loved us. Harm for those who have done us wrong. 
So Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he said, so these are the rules, just so you know, that everybody is playing by. Do good for, give favors to, pray for those who do it back to you. Religious, irreligious, it makes no difference. Everybody does this. But I tell you this, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Now, of course, as respectably religious people, we don't like to get called out on this. So we learn over time to be sophisticated in how we mask our impulses, what's going on in our mind. We train ourselves to smile and say polite things. Even though inside we're thinking to ourselves, eat dirt. We learn to say, I'm completely good. I'm over it now. Even though in truth, deep down inside, we're still turning it over in our mind. And from time to time, imagining how they will eventually get what they rightfully have got coming to them. But that's exactly what Jesus came to do away with. Surface religion that keeps up appearances on the exterior while lurking down below is the depravity of who I am left to myself. If you feel like there is anyone in your life, Jesus said, who has mistreated you, persecuted you, wounded you, done you wrong, Jesus said, I want you to extend to them, beginning all the way down in the depths of your imagination, a blessing. I want you to visualize what their future will look like if everything yet to come goes unbelievably good from here on out. So this next part is going to be a little awkward. But for this to work, I'm going to need you to identify in your mind the person that you presently struggle the most with over how they have wronged you. It's personal, private. Maybe it's the bully from the fourth grade who beat you up for milk money. Might be your deadbeat ex-husband who had an affair with someone at the office, ran off, and hasn't paid a nickel of child support. Your ex-best friend, your dishonest ex-business partner, the drunk who caused the accident, some guy in a horned hat and no shirt running around the Capitol. You choose who bothers you the most. But if you were going to daydream, I mean, just a little bit about final justice, who is the one that you would enjoy as the central character of that story running in that little movie inside of your mind? Because you know who we're talking about, and you know how that story is going to go down, or how it ought to go down, if there is any justice in the world. When somebody audits the books, then somebody picks up the phone and calls the cops, And then the picture of them being led out in handcuffs ends up on the evening news. And when they ask you for a comment, you'll be able to soberly say, you know, I've had concerns about them for a long time. If life is fair, the story is going to go down. When her new boyfriend figures out just how crazy she is and throws her out just like the last one did. 
How those kids are going to give them nothing but grief for the rest of their lives. How he's going to bounce from one dead-end job to another. How eventually everyone is going to discover, just like you have, what a fraud they are. And while respectable people like ourselves don't like to admit it, every single one of us at some point has spent at least fleeting moments dreaming about the demise of someone who has hurt us. And if we're really angry, we might do it a lot. And for some of us, it may even become chronic. And we can find ourselves three, four, five, ten years later still daydreaming about how somebody who once did us wrong eventually is going to get what they deserve. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Bless them. Whether or not we're ever given the opportunity or ever choose to speak the words, all of us paint pictures in our minds of the future for those who have loved and hurt us the most. God's very best for those who have loved us. God's very worst for those who have hurt us. That's just natural human nature. Sometimes when it comes to blessing our enemies, we give ourselves a pass because we say it isn't possible for us to give them a blessing anyway. I mean, there's a restraining order now. We haven't even seen them for years, not even sure where they are. Couldn't find them if I wanted to. They wouldn't answer if I called. They wouldn't open the letter if I mailed it. So, kind of not applicable And maybe it's not within your power to actually extend them a gift of blessing. But what I discovered in my own journey was that the change that Christ was calling for in my life wasn't so much about a hypothetical moment that was out of my control, but an everyday moment in my heart that was completely within my control. In our ministry journey, our family went through an excruciating chapter of life. Or we were very deeply hurt. I mean, openly attacked by a group of people. And and though this was years ago now, take my word for it, it was awful. And I was everything. I was wounded. I was hurt. I was angry. I was righteously indignant. I was all of it. And there were times when I had clarity and all the right attitudes. But there were times when I could slip into moments of daydreaming. Visions in my mind of how it would all come apart eventually for certain people and how I would be vindicated and how they would be shamed for what they had done. But I had to accept that the truest mark of where I really was as a follower of Jesus wasn't in how I conducted myself on the surface, but the way I daydreamed when absolutely no one else could see. And so I had to consciously choose and practice, and it definitely took some practice to get it right, to be able to vividly visualize God's very best for their future. And I discovered I needed, personally, an important rule in my daydreams. In my daydreams, I had to skip the part of the story where they realize how wrong they were and come back to me for forgiveness. And then God starts blessing them. For me, it was important not to include that part. It was just too self-righteously easy to include it in. 
So I had to start running this movie in my mind of what it would look like in the days ahead for them to prosper beyond anything that would seem imaginable. The blessed relationships, good health, long life, multiplied finances, richness of their walk with God, impact in the world, the honor that they would attain. And I started to visualize that picture and then I began to pray that picture that God would give to them the same thing that he has given to me, grace. Which means way better than I deserve. And I came to understand that until I could embrace a heart of blessing for them, I was never going to learn what I needed to learn. I was never going to heal the way I needed to heal, and I was never going to be free to move towards the next chapter that God had for me if I could not relinquish my need to finish the last chapter for them. And it was really hard. And it was really good. So here's that challenge that I warned you about. You know that person that you identified in your mind? Some of you consciously tried not to do it, but they popped into your mind anyway. Isn't that frustrating? You know that person in your mind? I want you to focus on the one part that is 100% within your control, and that's the picture in your mind that you dream for them. And I want to challenge you to take some time as you are laying your head on the pillow, drifting off to sleep, or perhaps driving along on your commute, and choose with that most difficult person in your heart to begin to paint a picture of a blessed life for their future without worrying about any of the details of what they'll need to do to get there. We'll let God take care of that part of the story. So I may be asking you to daydream about your ex-wife. But this time... Instead of visualizing how she's going to drive the next guy crazy too, this time you're going to picture how she meets the guy of her dreams. And he's good looking. And they got lots of money between them. A vacation house in Cabo. And you know what? Your kids really like him. They plugged into a great church. They're hosting a small group in their home now. Your ex-wife finished her degree. She's loving her new career. And you know what? She finally started running marathons like she always said she was going to. And although getting through the divorce was so crazy, the way you see her in her daydream, she's never been so happy. That's the heart of a blessing. It's a vivid picture of another person's future experiencing the very best favor of God. How hard can it be? We're just talking about a daydream. Nobody else is even going to know you're doing it. But in light of the fact that it's your ex-wife that we're talking about, or your ex-husband, and after all you've been through and some of the dirty tricks that they pulled, I would understand if you said, that's just too hard. I would get that. Daydreaming blessing on the company that fired you. Daydreaming blessing on the dad who abandoned you, the woman who lied under oath, the guy who pulled the trigger on the gun, the jerk who humiliated you in front of all of your friends. We started out thinking it's just a daydream. How hard can it be? But then when we realize it's about daydreaming the very best for the person who hurt us the very worst, 
we start to understand how nearly impossible this command just may be. All the way down into the perfectly private corners of our imagination. The scripture says, bless them and do not curse them. So maybe I've been all over the map today. Here's what I was trying to say. We will, be, we will never be ready to bless our enemies until we can bring ourselves to daydream about what their very best future would look like. And but for a dramatic work of the Holy Spirit, that is nearly impossible to do. Now, maybe you're watching this, you're listening to me, and you're thinking to yourself, Mike, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about today. Daydreaming bad about my enemies has never crossed my mind, in which case I would say, God bless you. But would you do me a favor? Would you pray for some of the other folks who are a part of this gathering today? Because there are a lot of us who are in this gathering who actually do struggle with it a lot. And most of the time, we keep it pretty good on the surface. And you know what? When we're at our best, our hearts are pretty good too. But sometimes when we're at our lowest, and we've got a little bit of time on our hands, we can still find ourselves daydreaming about how this story really ought to end. And it is in those completely hidden uncensored moments that we realize how desperately we still need the Holy Spirit. We still desperately need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts to become people of grace. People who give away blessings for free. Even to the ones who have hurt us the most. So Heavenly Father, you know who we are. And so we won't try to pretend with you to be something we're not. Every single one of us in here is, has been hurt in some way. Some of us in, in our family lives or in business and relationships, hurt in the world. We see things that we take offense at. Sometimes it's a little hard to understand, but we've experienced hurt that we connect to people. And thinking about taking any energy, even just mental energy, to just dream about your very best for them, that's a tough one. As far as I know, we we can't do it. We won't do it. Because everything in our human nature tells us to dream the opposite. Lord, we we don't give blessings much, not even to those that are closest to us. Perhaps, Father, we're not speaking the blessing because we're not dreaming blessings. So I just pray that you would open our minds and our hearts by your Holy Spirit to be grace givers, not just grace receivers. Giving away free gifts that are undeserved. And that would include happy, blessed ends to stories for people who deserve it to end differently. Help us really to be those who bless 
and who do not curse. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.